Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Lovecraft Country featuring some nobodies. I'm Zach, and today I'm actually by myself. Uh, this is going to be a weird one. So, I'm not sure if anybody knows this or not, but I've recently had back surgery, so we've been trying to kind of work some things around my rehabilitation, and also due to, you know, current circumstances, we just can't make things happen as fast as we can, so... And there's also technical difficulties, but either way... Here we go. We're back. And we got episode 9 and episode 10 ready to go whenever we're ready. So let's get into this. Uh, so episode 9, which is called Rewind 1921, directed by Jeffrey Nachmanoff. Um, you might remember him from movies like Traitor or Replicas, uh, but more noticeably probably from episodes of Homeland. And he also did the pilot for Chicago Fire. So the way that show looks is all based on the pilot episode which is considered the showrunner of the thing. So, episode 9, Rewind, 1921. With Hippolyte at the helm, Letty, Tick, and Montrose travel to 1921 Tulsa in an effort to save D. Now, before I get into it, um, we do have, and I'm going to play this in a second, a clip from Dylan. Uh, Dylan was on his travels when this show was aired, um, so he sent me a clip of what he thinks, and I'm going to get into that in a sec. Before we do that, though, a uh, quick shout to listener-app.com. If obviously you're listening to podcasts, if you listen to this, and if you want to kind of remember your favorite moments in podcasts, you can just with one quick tap, you can save what you're hearing into text, which is awesome. If you want to kind of go back and remember what the jokes were or whatever that conversation point that you wanted to get back to later on, um, which is for me interesting. And if you want to remember some of the weirdest pods that we do on the podcast podcast, which is one of our other shows, or what exactly Wilford is saying on Silicon Angels calls, which if you're a Silicon Angels fan, one, thank you. Two, season two is coming out very, very soon. We just got a huge information dump from Simon, and we're working all through it, so it should be done very soon. So with that, you got to check out Listener at your app store. Go to any, whatever app store you're using for whatever phone you do, and it's just listener-app.com, or the easier way is to find them on Instagram, which is at the greatest podcast app, at the greatest podcast app, all one word. Okay, I'm going to play right now the clip from what Dylan sent and it's going to be the beginning spoiler free and at the end spoiler heavy I would assume I actually haven't listened to it so I'm just going to put it on here but uh, my takeaways was I think this was my favorite episode of the season so far um, I'm obviously looking forward to number 10 but I was a huge fan of the Watchmen and I thought that the, my favorite episode of The Watchmen was very reminiscent to this one, where it kind of goes back and you realize how time itself changes depending on the person and perspective, blah, blah, blah. But it's also like, hey, you can actually be the hero that you need people to be. Um, I don't know. All that stuff was super interesting. So at this point, I'm going to play whatever Dylan has to say. So take it away, Dylan. You have one unheard message. First unheard message sent yesterday at 7.15 p.m. All right. Thanks, Zach. I appreciate the intro. Uh, if you didn't hear, my name is Dylan. These are my thoughts on episode 9 recorded in uh, beautiful Murray, Kentucky while I'm on the road. Figured I'd get this in here. Anyway, episode 9 of Lovecraft Country. Overall, I thought this was a pretty good sh episode. It was interesting to see things culminate in a way where we've kind of known the goal since episode 4, and it's nice to see them hit that now. It means that episode 10 is really shaping up to be something nice. Um, spoiler free, it was good. 
so far the show has seems to have established a pattern wherein they will introduce a really interesting concept and not follow up on it. And it's a little early to say that certain things have not been followed up on, but spoilers from here on out. I guess primarily I'm con I'm uh, wondering where the Shoggoth went, because I kind of want to see them bring the Shoggoth back in time with them to Tulsa. We start off with, uh, I mean, Lancaster dies, as far as we see, with a whimper. So it seems that they are setting up Christina to be the primary antagonist moving forward. We get a reveal from Montrose about the reality of he and Tick and his parentage. And it's handled in a very, very good way, I feel. Um, Tick kind of processes the reality of what Montrose is saying in a way that seems very appropriate for their relationship. And then they get down to business, and you start hearing Tick here stop using Uncle George, and starts just referring to him as George, which is kind of sweet. Uh, moving on, they manage to exercise or at least reset the demon spiral that Diana has fallen into, which is cool. It's nice to see Christina kind of interact with everybody, but I'm still waiting on Ruby and Tick to have a moment together, which I thought might happen in this episode, but it clearly did not. Uh, Hippolyta shows up. She helps it, uh, reset the curse cycle. And then she reveals that she's been alive for like 500 lifetimes, which is great. Um, you know, it's nice to see time dilation treated in a certain way. They go through the portal, and Michael K. Williams really kind of took this episode and made it his own. Though he's not the focus, you can very clearly tell that he is portraying Montrose as traumatically reliving these events that are going on. And that goes on throughout their entire time in Tulsa. We see a continuation of the cycle of violence regarding Tick and Montrose, and really just kind of a literal cycle of violence where a young Montrose witnesses Tick solve his problems with violence, and it grows up to exercise that in a way that it's not productive. And I don't think that that's necessarily a condemnation of action, but it is interesting to see that thread kind of acting on all the characters. We get some discussion of the ethics of time travel with Tick and Montrose with Letty considering them, though it seems that the show is definitely going for a closed loop in that Letty successfully takes the book and escapes without anyone really being the wiser for it. Uh, we have yet to see if she actually does have an effect on the time stream, but it feels like that would be a lot to introduce in a single episode, so who knows. Uh, in the process of getting the book, I appreciated that Letty was out in the open with the woman about getting the book. Um, honestly, I've been saying she probably should have done this from the start. All these characters probably should have been realistic about the supernatural stuff they're experiencing from the start. And it does exactly what they need in that it gets her the book and gets her out of there in time. Nah, it's a good episode. Uh, I'm looking forward to episode 10. It seems like it's setting up a lot of fun stuff and I'm really looking forward to continuing onward and finishing this out until next time when I'm in person. And uh, now you can go on back to listening to the people who are still in Colorado talk about how badly they miss me. Take it away, Zach. End of message. To delete this message, press 7. Message deleted. Hmm. Well, yeah, I'm probably going to agree. Um, Dylan's always the more insightful one of the two of us. I'm just the more talkative one. So, uh, very good notes, Dylan. Okay, so obviously the show opens with uh, Dee's body and everyone's around it yelling and blaming people and whatever and Tick suggests, you know, Christina and 
everyone immediately fights him. Obviously, they're going to fight him because Christina's kind of the bad guy. Um, but he says that he's going to give her the pages in exchange, like, obviously to help D. But Letty tells them that Christina already has them and that, you know, Letty already exchanged them for invulnerability. It was actually meant for Tick, but obviously, as we saw in last episode or whatever, or the other episode, that it actually was a protection spell that Christina gave to Letty. And obviously, Montrose is not very happy. He's not happy with Letty for this. He's kind of throwing her words back at her, and uh, everyone's just upset. And Ruby says that Christina will help Dee, and she'll do it for her, because Ruby thinks that, you know, Christina is uh, truthful and honest with Dee and looking after her. And, you know, there's like that relationship and romance, and I'm guessing that it's probably more one sided, but who knows? So we're going to cut from. We're gonna cut from there and go to Christina, and she's looking at some of Dee's drawings and complimenting, you know, how they look, whatever. She's a great artist, and she tells them she can't really fix Dee without the captain, without Lancaster, and Captain's dead. So, but what she can do is she can actually reset Christina back a little bit, so she can kind of like start it over at the beginning, and she'll only do that on one condition, and that's if. Uh, Tick returns to Artem for the autumnal equinox and she tells him why and it's you know, something new about moons and whatever and they just need the blood of her closest relative that's like what the big thing that the, the family's looking for we go from there to the logo which is smokes and I'm sorry which is smoke and flames and the book itself um, my first thoughts were initially that it was about the house on fire and Hannah um, that's what I thought the smoke and fire was because that's the only really fire that we know about and we're going to go from there. We're going to go back to Captain Lancaster, who is not dead. And the cops are asking why whatever they're doing isn't working, which I'm assuming is body swapping or just more magic. And that's when William just walks in and he grabs a stone. He's revealing that it's because of the stone. That's not why it's healing. And every time she turns into William, Christina has to kind of not witness, but experience William dying over and over again. And that's kind of what she wants. Yeah, you know, that's that's what she wants Lancaster to do. Um, she wants Lancaster just to die over and over and over again. But she kind of says like she'll settle for just this one time. We're gonna cut to Montrose, and he's drinking some moonshine, and it looks beautiful. <laughs> Not like in a I want some moonshine way, but that glass was just a pretty blue. That's when Tick walks up, and he's pretty much upset at first, uh, and we think he's gonna be mad at him for drinking. But he takes the drink, <laughs> and as Montrose says it, it's like George's road rash. That's what he calls it. Um, Montrose is upset about George. He, that's a fact. He obviously, and we're, I'm pretty sure we're about to see why, but he's upset about George's death. He's upset about a lot of things, and he's obviously moving to drinking to try to cope with that. And Montrose starts talking about the massacre and how that bonded the three of them. And that's when George reveals that Tick might be George's son. And it was because of the massacre that, like, the three of them bonded as, like, not, like, a group. But I think, like, with the way things worked out, Montrose wasn't into girls. And George and, you know, uh, Tick's mom wanted to be a thing or were a thing. I'm not really sure. I'm pretty sure that maybe Montrose just wanted a son. And that's what he had to do. So, I'm not sure. We'll get to that. Um... Tick just cannot understand this and he is talking about how he was like being beat as a kid and he would just look over at George and just want George to be his dad 
And that's when Letty walks in and uh, also when Hippolyta walks in and was like, well, what's wrong? What's wrong with D? So <laughs> the next scene is once again, one of my least favorite tropes. It is the hand cut scene where they just cut the palm if they need any amount of blood whatsoever. But Hippolyta um, and then Christina starts talking, you know, spells and maggots kind of come out of Dee's wound and they turn to flies, which is obviously representing of the spell kind of reversing or fleeing a little bit. Um, so Dee's healed a little bit and like the, the, you know, the red lips and the smile and the, uh, all that said, the long fingernails, that's all gone for the moment. And Dee's just, she's still passed out, but she obviously looks like Dee. Um, Christina and Ruby go to leave, and Letty starts with Ruby about not trusting Christina. And Ruby is obviously on Christina's side. Letty brings up the, autumn, the autumnal equinox and about Tick's death. And Ruby just leaves. She actually, uh, we have not really, I don't think we've seen any interaction with those two. And I have... A feeling that Ruby just does not like Tick, which helps Christina's point a lot. But Hippolyta now is packing up Woody, and she's asking about the book. And Tick tells her that the book is it's burnt, it's gone. And Hippolyta talks about like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? Give me anything. And they find out that the last place the book was it was in Tulsa, in 1921, during the riots. So they got to go to Tulsa. And Hippolyta tells them about her time travels and her infinite wisdom and infinite possibilities. And then she just tells them to get the fuck in the car. And we know what's going on. She's going to go to the time machine and try to go back time. We're going to cut from there to Christina in her lab. And Ruby is already there, uh, kind of sitting in the shadows. And she's asking about the white woman. And she, you know, wants to know, like, what's up with her? And it turns to Christina tells her, hey, her name's Del. And she was in a coma because... Letty hit her with a shovel, and that was from, what, episode one or two? I guess two. Um, and that was cool. Ruby asked her a couple more questions about magic and tick, and she wants to know everything. Like, Ruby is just hungry for information, and Christina says that she's just not Ru she's not using Ruby, and when Ruby asks about killing tick, Christina doesn't deny it, and Christina tells Ruby it's about her upbringing when you know, with men and magic and how men use magic like money and power and Christina just wants all of that. She wants all the money, all the power and I can understand, you know, anyone who's under wants to be over and it's just odd that Christina is telling somebody who is not only a woman but also a, a woman of color and everything else, underprivileged and it's just odd, I guess, but I think Ruby also understands that. So Ruby just says, look, promise me you won't hurt my sister and... Christina does and Ruby walks over and then she just kills Del and she, <laughs> she looks pretty much red to camera and she says I always saw myself as a redhead which is obviously a reference to the book uh, we're going to cut from there to the observatory Montrose is troubled and he's drinking more and he actually finishes the rest of the moonshine um, Hippolyte is fixing the circuit board Letty and Montrose are getting D ready and they're kind of like putting her up on the board, uh, some kind of plank and they talk about Letty's pregnancy and Montrose reveals to her what Tick said. He's been to the future. He knows that they have a son. He knows the son's name is George and George writes a book. And that's when the machine pops on and Hippolyta starts spinning the, the dial and portals open and they start flipping through universes or flipping through time or whatever the thing is. I, she keeps saying universes, so I'm, I'm assuming it's flipping through universes, which is crazy to think about because if it's flipping through universes, then it has to also be flipping through our universe in that sequence but also different times of our universe 
That's a lot to handle. Or she sets the time in the universe with like those things that she has in her arm, those little glowy things in her, her wrists. And Hippolyta has a photo to concentrate on and she tells them to not affect the future. And the photo is like from 1921. The portal stops flipping and Letty and Tick, they jump through right away. Montrose is hesitant to hop in back into 1921. But he does, I guess the last minute or whatever. And they go and they look outside and it's bustling. It's a, a cool city. Like Tulsa is just like booming and everyone's happy and business is going on. And Tick overhears that a dance is canceled. And Montrose lets him know that it, uh, Booker T. Washington High School and it's their prom was canceled right before the dance started. So he knows that that is the night that it's roughly in a few hours that the riots are going to start. And they also know that their house burns on the first night, so they have to make a plan and they got to get going. So they all find some clothes and they're looking amazing. And the heroes head into town and, you know, they head into town and they're looking around and it's just cool to see like such a dated but very, very happy area, especially knowing what's about to happen. But either way, they're still very, very happy. And on the way, Montrose sees a square, and he's got some memories, and we're going to see that later on. And Lantro, uh, Letty gets him out of it, and Tick yells at him, just about like you know, getting your shit together and being drunk and whatever, and Montrose is just having a hard time. And Tick tells him that when Dee's safe, that he and Montrose are done, like, we're going to be out of here. So then we see Montrose, Tick, and Letty, and they get to a shed, and across the street, um, they overhear someone yelling so they kind of look over there and it's actually Montrose being beat by his dad and from what Montrose says it's pretty much just for wearing George's prom jacket which had a flower on it so his dad makes a bunch of gay references and keeps him you know keeps beating him he actually earlier makes his makes him pick his own switch and that's when Tick's mom walks out and stops it and it, you know uh, Montrose's dad stumbles away drunk and Tick's mom just starts yelling at George for letting the beating continue. And that's when they find out that the prom is canceled, so they decide just to go look for Montrose anyway. And when Tick and Letty realize like, what's actually happening, Montrose is gone. So Tick tells them about the story and the park and that they have to split up. And the story is that like this is when you know the stranger comes out of nowhere with a baseball bat and saves them and is like, I got you, kid. So... We're about to see the unfolding of that, which I was super excited for. So Letty hotwires a car, <clears throat> and she she hotwires a car for Tick, <laughs> which is I think awesome. Her character development is so great, and Tick just drives off. And then we're gonna cut to nighttime, and Montrose finds a bat, like he finds a bat in I guess like a trash can. And he also finds some alcohol because it's Montrose, and. We're going to kind of intercut between that and Letty's walking around. And then a group of thugs, like, in a truck start, sh uh, they start shooting. <laughs> they try to kill Letty. Obviously, she's protected, um, but nobody else knows that. And she runs, and then George's dad is there. And George's dad kind of, like, brings her inside. And that's when Tick's grandmother's there. And she notices really quickly Letty's shoes, and she asks what her name is. And the whole family is making plans to, you know, because there's white people outside shooting for some crazy reason. So George's father starts handing out guns and pretty much tells him, hey, take your places. We got to get this done. We're going we're gonna to cut back to Tick finding Montrose by the park. And Montrose tells Tick that what they're seeing is Montrose's first boyfriend, 
Uh, his name's Thomas, and that he's about to be shot in the head. And they watch and talk about saving Thomas. And Tick tells him that he can't. And Montrose is like, hey, this, you know, he, Thomas won't mean anything. And Montrose keeps saying that he can't affect the future. And if he does, that there's a possibility that Tick won't exist. And <clears throat> Montrose says, quote, Thomas is the first in a long list of sacrifices to be just to be your father. And that is such a heavy sentence when you think about how George is Tick's father. And that means that there was a sacrifice that Montrose had to make there. And then obviously Thomas that we're about to see as a sacrifice. And then the sacrifices and the sacrifices. And it just, you know, it, it's, it's hard to think of that character and, and, and what that means. Um... And I'm glad that Michael K. Williams is the one to take on this role because it turns out that he is the deepest of all the characters. And after that, Montrose says all he ever wanted to be was Tick's father, and which lets me know that he wanted a kid. Um, and I, once again, I think that Michael K. Williams is the best actor of this entire show. Uh, there's better characters, I think, and there's more dynamic scenes, but the actor that holds the most emotion and the character that has the most depth is... Montrose's character and uh, it's it's perfect and Tick just lets Montrose go but he doesn't he he knows and, and if there's a chance that he's not going to have Tick then he can't do it so we're going to cut back from there to Letty searching the house that she's in and the grandmother comes in and questions her and Letty tells the grandmother pretty much straight up like hey she's from the future she needs the book of names and to prove it, uh, Letty mentions that she's got she knows about the birthmark, and the grandmother hops on board pretty quickly and realizes that she has to die there. That if she came to that moment, it's because there's no future moments with the book, which means the grandmother has to die. So we're gonna cut back to Montres and Tick, and they watch as a truck of just white jerks drive up and shoot Thomas in the head, and that is a troubling scene. And then while Letty's kind of confessing her love for Atticus and that she needs the book. The grandmother goes, she like kind of goes to help the family, but then she stops. And then instead she gets the book and she gives it to Letty and she gives Letty the words that she needs. And she tells her like, hey, I, don't, I haven't used this book. I'm just trying to keep it safe. But back to Montrose. Um, so George and Dora show up to help young Montrose and old Montrose is he's like talking about that this hero comes and that the hero comes and saves them but when he's looking around he doesn't realize that the hero isn't coming and Tick with some thought realizes that he's the stranger like he's the one who his dad has been talking about for his entire life that he's the one who his dad actually looks up to and it's so beautiful oh like this uh, even right now talking about it like watching the show twice and you know kind of having it consumed it is it still gives me goosebumps it's such a beautiful story and a beautiful scene we're gonna we're gonna go back to grandmother and letty and they're praying together as the fire comes up and we get a voice overlay and once again if, if in this season if at any point there is not music but there is an audio track that is probably the most impactful part of the show so you always got to pay attention um but there's this voice overlay of this uh, spoken word and it's called where's your fire and doing some you know research on it um 
she, you know, Misha Green, who obviously invented the show, uh, she's cleverly just used spoken word pieces as soundtrack throughout the series. Like the one we heard, which is James Baldwin's interview of uh, Gil Scott Heron's poem, Whitey on the Moon. Um, in this one, it is Sonia Sanchez's poem, Catch the Fire. A part of the poem is, where is your fire? I say, where is your fire? And then the poem asks, can you smell it coming f- out of the past? The fire of living, not dying. The fire of loving, not killing. The fire of blackness, not gangster shadows. Where is our beautiful fire that gave light to the world? The fire of pyramids. The fire that burned through the holes of slave ships that made us breathe. Yeah, it's great. Like, it's great. And that's when, you know, obviously Tick starts beating the crap out of everyone and uh, smashes some dudes in the nuts and beats up some white people. And he takes out, like, a dozen. And, like, uh, I am on the verge of crying now. But watching the show was, like, just downpour of tears for me. Um, so, uh, as Tick's grandmother is burning up in Letty's arms, Tick is rescuing his father. And then he f- says this famous words, you know, I, I got you, kid. And he leaves. Um, outside, whites are just being a bunch of assholes. And they're, like, looting and setting fire to everything. Um, Tick and Montrose have to get back to the portal. And Letty isn't there. Well, I'm sorry, Tick and Montrose actually get back to the portal and Letty isn't there. But Montrose realizes something's wrong with the portal and Tick just immediately jumps through to check on Hippolyta and the portal closes on them. When we go back to 1921, Tulsa is just burning and innocent people are being slaughtered everywhere uh, by white people. And uh, Montrose is just watching on and he's making references to all this, to some of the senseless deaths such as, you know, Piglet Taylor in his last stand and Briar's Taylor Shop and Dr. Jackson was you know, the best Negro surgeon in all of America and he got shot in the face and uh, Mr. Rogers and Whitey Phelps who tried to save people and Commodore Knox and how they did him the worst and Thomas and that's when the portal opens again and Hippolyta's eyes turn white and she starts foaming at the mouth when we go back to Tulsa Letty is walking through this chaos now I, I understand that she should be running like they are in a time sensitive situation but I get it. And there's just so much death and destruction around her. And the show is about like accepting your past and accepting who you are and not allowing it to continue, but knowing that it has happened. Um, but Hippolyta is having a hard time keeping the portal open and bombs are just blasting on Letty. And that's when Hippolyta's hair turns blue, just like Arinthia. And... At that point, that's when Letty Montrose pop through the portal and everyone is exhausted and beat down. But they got the book. And that's the most important thing. So, oof. Yeah, I'm going to say this was, out of all the episodes, this was the one that probably uh, touched me the most. This was the one that had the most intriguing storyline because to, to get a a looping story that, that has always happened is so beautiful and intricate and kind of hard to do without a lot of plot holes and sure I probably could find a few in this if I wanted to but all in all this was my favorite episode and I got no complaints it was um, character heavy it was plot heavy it, it, it made relevance you need this episode to understand the this full story of the season <sighs> so that's it now, this is probably going to be a short one since nobody else is here to talk 
with me about this or to uh, help explore some of these things. So if you have any interest in letting me know how you feel about episode nine, I would love it. Uh, this was one of my favorite ones. So um, tune in most likely tomorrow <laughs> and I'm going to have episode 10 out uh, because that one actually just aired. So we got to get these things going. Um, but in the meantime, thank you so much. I greatly, greatly appreciate your attention and your time. And my name is Zach Wiseman. Uh, I am part of some nobodies. Uh, usually with me is Dylan Terry and Suzanne Grimmer, but they are doing something else. And that is awesome. And I appreciate them. But I got to get this going. Um, so in the meantime, uh, if you want to hear more of what some nobodies do, you can always check out uh, the podcast podcast, the podcast show. You can find that anywhere. It's probably easiest if you search for some nobodies because that is like you know, the artist or whatever. Uh, but it is called the podcast podcast colon a podcast show. And in that show, Dylan and I, we find underheard or underappreciated or sometimes just plain bad podcasts and we review them for people. Uh, season two of that is coming out very, very soon. So look forward to that. Silicon Angels, which is our very first show and the one that got the most uh, uh, hype and uh, listeners and whatever and feedback. Silicon Angel Season 2 is coming back soon, so if you're interested in listening to that, you can search everywhere for Silicon Angels. It is a weird, true crime tale of uh, IT people and sex robot companies. Uh, I don't know. Just search your podcast. Uh, go to Listener app and search your podcast uh, under Some Nobodies, and you'll see all 294 things that we do. <sighs> and if you want to help us break into 300 or help us produce this movie that we're trying to make or anything else that we're doing you can always go to patreon.com uh, slash some nobodies and we would greatly help it we would like some help we need some more nobodies helping us out uh, a couple of our patreon supporters that we absolutely love is scott curtis if you listen to any comedy podcast and want to know how some of the stuff's done go to behind the bits um dylan and i we are on there occasionally uh but yeah, Behind the Bits with Scott Curtis is awesome. You have Sarah Tkachuk. She's one of my best friends from Delaware, and I love that girl. We have Tonya Sheck. She has been a supporter since the very beginning, and we do appreciate that. You also have Podroom App. So if you want to uh, talk to podcast people or people who like the same podcast, uh, Podroom, what that does is makes it available for you to chat with people and leave comments and whatever. And also Terrapin Care Station that was very helpful throughout you know, my surgery. Uh, they got some CBD creams. If you're looking for THC, they're everywhere. Uh, Pennsylvania, Maryland, uh, Michigan, uh, here, Colorado, everywhere. So Terrapin Care Station, we appreciate you. And Jared Gleason. If you listen to any music we do, Jared does it. Other than that, thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. We appreciate it. I hope you appreciate it. Until then, bye. Magic is not something to be feared, but a gift to pass on. This has never been personal. What the hell it is? You're trying to kill my son. This book belongs to our family, and together we're gonna use it to protect our family. Every person in the world. It's gonna change everything. It's too damn risky. Look what we've been through to get here. We can't stop fighting now. It's time. What did you do? 
the choice. I hope you'll forgive me for this one last secret. 